hello and welcome to Cast a Pod to Your Witcher. I'm your co-host Dov. I'm your co-host Aaron. And I'm your co-host Max. And today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 7 of the Netflix series, Before a Fall. Cer- certainly the most ominously named episode we're facing. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, um, aptly, as we go on to find out. Yeah, the, there's sort of the episodes get a lot more towards the end of the season condensed in their content and a lot more linear and I think this is just a continuation of that theme really and it's also I think probably the shortest episode in the series as well 48 minutes yeah it is by far the shortest episode so this is the runtime on this is 47 minutes and if you compare that to episode 3 Betrayer Moon the runtime on that was 67 minutes which is like that's getting into film length <laughs> Yeah, and, it was a um, long episode to do. <laughs> yeah, so and well, and the episode we made about it was long. I mean, it feels a little less weird to have a two-hour episode when it's about an almost seventy-minute episode of TV. Yeah, um, that's fair. But the the rest of the episodes are kind of in the fifty-nine to sixty-two-minute range. So this is like it's basically this is the minutes that they borrowed for the Betrayer Moon were sort of borrowed from <laughs> this episode. Yeah. Like- as you said, it's the flexibility of having a streaming platform rather than a television um, slot to fill in that gives them this sort of freedom, which is cool. It's nice to see them use it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, to, to fire in, you know, we're in the market. There's, We see a young critter cutting about um, in the green hood, stopped by a man, and it turns to Siri hiding away, trying to get to Skellige. Um, yeah, presumably that's because and, where her yeah. remaining relatives are. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. she knows. Yeah, yeah, and where she was sort of partly raised. So she's yeah, she's trying to get to Skellige. Um, so when she gets sort of stopped by that man, she's it's because she's doing a terrible job of trying to <laughs> steal some food. Um, once again, we see that while Siri is is tough and has a lot of sort of like ability to survive outside, she just does not understand the world. Yeah, she seems to genuinely think that if you take boxing. things, then you know that's okay. <laughs> well, in her life and her yes. world, it was. It's true. Yeah, we see some more of later in this episode about how her mistaken impressions about the world yes. are going to cause her problems, mm. but. Um, yeah, so she finds out that she's just, she's really far away from Skellige. It would be a week with a fast horse, the man says when she asks. And uh, a nice lady appears and tries to warn her that it is, uh, it's dangerous to go and alone. And the man also <laughs>, laughs when she asks <laughs> how far away it would be on foot, so. <laughs> Basically impossible. <laughs> you, do, you do get some, like, in, insight into her character as well. Because, you know, the woman says this place isn't safe if you're alone. And she's, well, it's the same as every other place. Yeah. Um, Yes. Oh gosh, yeah, I would know into the sort of horrible trauma she's been through in the last week. Mm. Yeah. Siri has really gone through some shit lately, like. <laughs> yeah. Well, until a week ago, she was a princess who they were trying to, like, protect and, like, keep away from her destiny for as long more, as possible. More than a week ago, they told her that there isn't any threat whatsoever, no war is happening, no nothing, like. <laughs> Um, so yeah. it wasn't even just that she was a princess, it was literally that there was no threat to her life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. There's there's a funny thing as well about uh, when she asks how far away Tuskelega is, because, like, if you follow book lore, then um, this is meant to be, like, Riverdale, which is, like, in the opposite direction of Sintra, 
from where Skellige was. So she has wondered, literally, if like if like we assumed that like her initial intent was to get to Skellige, she has wandered into like in literally the opposite direction. <laughs> well, I think to be fair, part of this wasn't really voluntary. She ended up accidentally in Brokilon. But the, this is the this is the thing. Brokilon is to the is to the north of Sintra. Skellige is to the west, and Riverdale is to the east. So she. Okay. So she literally like went way east the moment she left Rocklawn. I mean, she was being led by um, fake mouse sack for a bit. She well. was, yeah, yeah, aye, yeah. And she probably not got the best um, orienteering skills. Yeah, unlike Book Siri, who has a mysterious sense of direction that's part of her sort of magical abilities, um, Show Siri does not seem to have that. <laughs> <laughs> Tries to go to Skellige, accidentally ends up. On the exact other side of the continent. Possibly yeah. a month away. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's quite a short scene, and you just sort of get a, an insight into, yeah, what what's going on with Siri, and then we're um, immediately back with Geralt looking pensive once more on top of a hill, watching an looking army over. march. Yes, and then suddenly he's in in a valley. Uh, sorry, in in some tunnels with Mouse Sack, um, discussing the nature of his surprise child. Yeah. And Mausak is absolutely giving him shit here for um, having avoided Sintra for this long. And like, basically, Geralt doesn't know that Ciri's a girl. Geralt doesn't know that her parents died. Geralt doesn't know anything. <laughs> and Mausak's just like, have you been- has Living you been, in a like, cave, yeah. <laughs> cave, yeah. He doesn't even know that he is a girl. <laughs> yeah. Which is just like a wild thing not to know, really, given that she's like the heir of an He literally kingdom. went out of his way not to listen to any information about Sintra. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it's possible to avoid, I guess, if like you never visit Sintra whatsoever, because it's not like, it's not like we're, you know, in our world, we have the internet and Wikipedia. So, you know, if... We... Okay, but Yaskir is the internet slash Wikipedia. <laughs> And also, <laughs> Geralt has not spoken to him for possibly several years now, if you follow TV series timeline. So... Uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, like, yeah, Geralt, like, you know, theoretically, you could probably, like, avoid encountering all this information, but you would have to sort of go away out, go out of your way anyway. Like, just basically leave any conversation as soon as the Sintron royal family is mentioned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, Kalanfi, Kalanfi's granddaughter. Somebody mentions that, and Geralt is just like, no, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Runs oh, away. <laughs> I mean, I guess the, the politics and minutiae of the Sintron royal family probably, depending on where he was, wouldn't be a major concern. Sintra's a pretty minor. Kingdom. I mean, it is and it isn't because, like. Like, I mean, it's about the same size as, like, an average northern kingdom, and it comes as a massive shock to the northern realms when it's taken. So, like, I don't think minor is really the right word, to be honest. It's not, like, upper edge or anything. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I just want to actually um, cut in on the timeline stuff. Sorry, I was just looking at the, the Netflix timeline because I had noted something when Geralt was standing on that... Um, on that cliff and looking down and seeing the the army, I was like, oh gosh, it looks very much like the same landscape as the Dragon Hunt episode. Mm. 
And Netflix's timeline says that it's only been a year between the Dragon Hunt and yeah. Geralt returning. But also, to like, there, it's definitely not the same place in universe because the Dragon Heart was in the far, Dragon Hunt was in the far north. Uh, I was just saying, re my point about like Yaskier being yeah. in Wikipedia. Yeah, Geralt's uh, only right. been away from Yaskier for I, months at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, it it he will have to like literally got out of his way to avoid Yaskier mentioning Sintra then, but. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which, no wonder yeah. Max is totally giving him shit for this. Yeah, <laughs> And then suddenly um. assassins appear while we're at it. Mousak teleports them out of there. Well, yeah, which, like, Geralt pulls, like, a pretty crazy move to make this happen, right? Like, he goes and, like, looks around and is like, oh, yes, there's definitely assassins. And his solution to this is to, like, put a knife to his old friend's throat and be like, okay, you better get us out of here unless you want them to kill you, too. And the wildest thing is if these are Kalanthi's men and, like, Mosak is her druid, she was, like fully prepared to let her assassins kill Mousak to get to Geralt, I guess, and... I mean, I think she just assumed that, like, Mousak would prioritize his duty to her over his friendship with Geralt, which, to be fair, Mousak is not, like, really actively helping Geralt in this situation until Geralt literally threatens his life, so... Yeah, and, and um... Uh, yes. It isn't, I think one of the things to note as well is that initially it's... You know, it's not... You assume that they're Calanthes... But it's not till you really see their armor that it's obvious that it's not just Nilfgaardians, you know, and it is actually. Uh, I mean, to be assassins. fair, it's probably safe to assume that mm-hmm. Calanthe's assassins to begin with, because like nobody else has actually any motive to kill Geralt just yet. Well, like, besides for like everyone mm. Geralt knows yeah, personally, he's... but but that's different. <laughs> yeah, apart from Yaskir and Yennefer, no I mean, one else would has. Would be just funny if like right the assassins <laughs> turned up and they were like, and they were like, "What? What are you talking about? We're not from Calanthe. We're from Yennefer." <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, and Carol's got such a drama queen line here as well when Mousak's like complaining that he's gonna get them both killed. He's just like blame destiny. <laughs> such a drama queen. And I mean, to be fair, in the lore of the books, it's not that unusual for sorceresses to send us. I mean, admittedly, so. I think I think yeah, the fair no, isn't the kind to like hire assassins on ex-boyfriends. She'd rather kill them herself. But like, that's but good. but I yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't have been exactly surprising. Um, <laughs> so yeah, again, that's another punchy, short, concise scene. And then we're, suddenly we're back in Sintra because Mousak's taken them there. And we, we get Calanth mocking piss-smelling armies and the Nilfgaardians as being a rabble and all that kind of thing. I think it is safe to assume, to be fair, that like the sewers were also in Sintra because Geralt says that the army that he saw is marching down the the Amel Pass, which is the pass that leads to Sintra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I assumed that was like the outskirts of the city oh, where he yeah. was like secretly meeting Mousak to just check if everything was okay. Yeah, just like the sewers. Yeah. Yeah, so Calanthe is preparing to defend against slash fight Nilfgaard. Can I, by the way, observe that like her behavior in this scene is a bit contradictory with her behavior in the very first episode where she's in the fucking feast, right? Like, because at the feast, she she puts out this entire thing of, like, you know, when East mentions that Nilfgaardians have been seen in the Amel Pass, she puts up this entire thing of, like, well, they must be headed to Sodden if they're smart, and basically dismisses the threat. But here she's actually doing real military preparation of sorts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, well, she's, a, she's full of bravado, so it's not, like, 
inconsistent for her to put on one face. Yeah, and it's, one it's side just interesting that she's putting that fa- like the, her brave face on with East, her literal husband who's head over heels for her. You know, in so far as trustworthy people at court go, there isn't anyone more trustworthy than him. Mm. But here she's with her military leaders, and here she's actually shown as a little bit like, you know, well, she wants the Skelligan ships to show up, etc, etc. You know, there's this entire thing other than, like, just public bravado. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. So, I don't know, I just always find that a bit weird, that, like, she's... Like, I get I get it from a, from a TV series, like, dramatization standpoint, because in the first episode, they need to make the Nilfgaardian attack seem shocking, mm-hmm. um, whereas here we already know that it happens, so it kind of, like, it's not, like, such a big impulse. I just mm-hmm. I just thought that was a bit weird. Yeah, so we know roughly when this takes place relative to, to the first episode. She's saying that East is on his way back from Skellige. And we know in episode one, he says he basically just got off the boat. So we know sort of this is just before the events of episode one. I thought there's an interesting line here where she says, doing her sort of military preparations, she says, I've taken on every pissing pretender for a dozen years, which I think is really interesting just because I like she's not talking about Nilfgaard. Nilfgaard hasn't been attacking in the past. It's an interesting, I think, nod to Calanthe's sort of uncomfortable position as a queen regnant in a patriarchal setting that we've talked yeah. about in the past and about her having to like constantly defend her position. Yeah, and yeah. I can't remember if we mentioned this, um, but like the last time we talked about this, like I think I think it brought, briefly brought up that um, at least in the books, it's actually explicitly stated that like Calanthe's position as queen regnant is sort of like extra extrajudicial as well. Yeah, it, yeah, we brought that up before that it was um, about what happens to her in the books as well as um... yeah, 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 like and and I think yeah, you're right that this like ties in very interestingly with that. And you can only imagine that her position would become even more uncertain when her daughter, who had a husband, died, and the only heir was a twelve-year-old yeah, yeah. girl. Yeah. Well, an infant girl yes. at that point. Very made of Norway. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for Scottish history. Uh... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Google it. <laughs> Scottish Wars of Independence. Um, gotta keep it topical. Yeah, you do get some. I, I like, you know, her describing her missing his craggy face when talking about East. That is actually like the only about only bit of affection she actually expresses towards East in the entire fucking series. <laughs> Oh, I don't think not he has true. a craggy face. And I, I, yeah, I don't think he has a craggy face. I don't think it's true that's the only affection. She's just sort of a bit Sundere. So, like, I mean, I think she's... Yeah. All, of her, <laughs> all of her sort of, like, aggro stuff is the way she yeah, shows this is the this is the only thing she says, she, where she's, like, nice about him, and she can't be nice about him to his face. So... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I absolutely stand yes. for East, so... <laughs> deserve better. East deserves deserve better. better than getting Hastings. <laughs> you deserve better than an arrow in the eye, but there is no one better than Calanthe, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Geralt turns up and her face sours and everything goes somewhat more tetchy. And yet again, Destiny comes up and, you know, Geralt's like, I can't be bought, I'm here to protect the girl. And, uh, money can't undo the law of surprise. He's actually doing a very reasonable thing. He's not actually trying to take the girl. He just says to Calanthe, listen, let me, you know, like, bodyguard her for, like, a couple of months. If everything's fine, I'll bring her back. Just, just, yeah, just take... Just let this all... Yeah, let's just let this all I'll blow over. Her. I'll borrow her. <laughs> and when this all blows over, I will bring her back. And 
But like, I get Calanthe's point here about having. I mean, I get why she doesn't fucking trust him because he did. Like, from her yeah. perspective, he basically conspired to steal a child, as Yennefer put it, like in the in the Pavetta episode. Like, yes, it wasn't deliberate, but yeah. that's not how it looks to everyone else. And it's no mistake that it's the women in the series who are extremely bitter about the law of surprise because they're the ones who just repeatedly get fucked over by it. Kalethi lost her own daughter to the law of surprise. She's about to lose her granddaughter, which is the only thing she has left of her daughter who died um, to the law of surprise again. And, you know, Yennefer's angry about it as well. Yeah. Um, well, Kalethi didn't directly die because of the law of surprise, more like the chain of events that was set off to her death. Yeah, we'll not get into that. Yeah. But that's yeah. how Calanthe views it later in this episode. She says, like, I listened to you yeah. once and wanted to get me Pavetta dead. I think it's as well, uh, uh, sort of tying into the theme of choice, because the law of surprise is just in- inherently sort of deterministic. Uh, you know, taking the choice yes. away from all the actors in it, it's just entirely what will be will be. And that's obviously what Yennefer hates more than anything in the world, is having, losing her sense of choice. Mm-hmm. And Geralt just does it by complete accident. He doesn't even mean to do it, it just happens. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he can't think of anything else. <laughs> there is some conceptual thing going on here with, like, you know, the very concept of free will and destiny as a kind of chain that, put, that is put around people and constrains their actions, yeah. Yeah, and that, that comes up later on. And you sort of see um, the argument that, you know, Calanth puts for you know, Ciri's all I've got left of my daughter, and, you know, Gareth says, if Ciri survives, so does Pavetta, you know, she lives on, and that kind of seems to be what sways Calanth, ostensibly. Yeah, gosh, that line, if I win the war but lose Ciri, what victory yeah. is that? It's, uh, it's something else. Yeah. So then we're back at the market, and there's this Punch and Judy show, and they go, I couldn't work out what they were saying, maybe it's just because I was, I kind of phased out or something, but what, do, do they, like... I put the subtitles on, and it's, it's not... It doesn't connect very well, but um, I swear to God, one of the voices is the actress who plays Calanthe. But um, one of the, <laughs> the line that is being said when it sort of fades into the, the Punch and Judy show is, when I arrived, the royals were dead, tossed out a window. Um, so it is about Nilfgaard's oh, sack no. of Sintra. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And that's what's playing as series walking yeah, around this town. It's, it's a story of... Uh... Yeah. How the devil was going to ruin Sintra himself, but uh, the guardians got her first. Like, which actually is a fun thing that ties into that. This this is where Slavic folklore kicks in because um, there are a lot of like Eastern European tales about um, how the devil was going to like destroy a city, like or ruin a town, like. And normally, normally they end happily with someone. Because like there there's there's this idea that the devil can only do that in the dead of night. Like so normally they end happily with someone uh tricking them mm. by like, imitating like a rooster cawing at dawn, uh and the devil panics and just flees. So there there seems to have been like some sort of like imitation of this with like oh yeah, I was on my way like you know, like the devil's like, oh, I was on my way to destroy Sintra and it's crazy old king because he specifically mentioned it's king and it's like and it's spoiled princess but then the elf guardians got there first now what do i do with my time oh okay. gosh huh that is um so, oh gosh poor siri dark <laughs> so uh, add to her travails she you know goes to buy gloves using silver which was 
her mother's ring. Yeah. Well, she tries to steal them first. <laughs> Doesn't do a very good job Again, of it. Ineptly fails. <laughs> yeah, she keeps failing her sleight uh, of hand check. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just had some of her mother's ring instead. Like. Which seems like a super unequal trade. Like it's a she pretty big solid silver ring. But the values of exchange. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, it makes sense. Like to her, the the ring is just a thing. It's just a lump of whatever. She has no concept. Like emotionally important to her, but she doesn't know how much it. Yeah. Like you know, means in in, in financial terms. And then she drops a glove anyway. Oh no, she, that was her throwing away her one glove left because she was buying gloves because oh, she gave away her one to That's Dara. got more pathos to it than I originally <laughs> considered. Yeah, that's like severing her like connection to Dara. It's very oh. Just it would have been dirt. hilarious if that turned out to be the same glove she just bought, uh, like extremely expensively for her mother's ring. But she's just so bad at holding <laughs> things in her hand. But <laughs> she threw away one of the gloves and had two right gloves instead. <laughs> we should make fun. We shouldn't make fun of Siri this way. She's been through a lot. <laughs> uh... <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Poor Siri. Yeah, she's yeah, literally this nice been lady horse. turns up and goes. I mean, she does steal a horse immediately after after getting a nice. How horse. about you know, yeah. like I let you stay with me for a time because, well, we don't have much, but we clearly have a damn sight more than you do, and <laughs> and Siri just first of all just blanks her and then steals her horse instead. <laughs> Yeah, all Siri takes from this, from the nice farm lady specifically referencing, oh, here's my horse's clip and clop. I just need to buy one more thing and we'll make some room on them. And what she takes from this is, ah, the lady is not going to be watching her horses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, let's be real here. You can't really blame her given everything that has happened so I know, far. right? And plus, I think she's starting to actually... Part of me wonders if she's internalizing what Dara said. So, like, this thing that mm. Dara said to her is, like, you know, I can't be your family. You bring death and destruction everywhere you go. And I'm wondering if part of it is that, she, obviously, she doesn't trust anyone. So why would she go with a nice farm lady? And part of it is she internalizing the idea that she's just going to bring death and destruction to this nice lady's farm. She's if she... sparing her. Very good point. Uh, do you think that there might be something like that going on as well? Yeah. So given the present circumstances, did either of you, like have some feelings when the lady said to her, you know, a lot's happening on this continent, but we're safer when we stick together. Because, oh, that I had some, I had some, <laughs> I had some feelings about that. Yeah. <laughs> too real, too real, the witcher. So for context, if anyone's listening to this later, <laughs> we're in the depths of quarantine right now, in case anyone's listening to this next year. <laughs> Keeping to quarantine, uh, in case people weren't, in case this wasn't obvious to people before, we're using Discord to record all of these, all of these podcast yeah. episodes. <laughs> yes. I'm in a whole ass other country. <laughs> <laughs> yes, recorded fully remotely. <laughs> so yes, but yeah, yeah, I I had feels about that. That was that was a bit much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, The Witcher. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, and so in response to this, whether because of her own internalized sort of feelings of being a destructive force or because of just wanting to not, or because of not trusting people or just wanting to get away, Siri um, steals one of the horses. I think that's a, it's feasible to assume that that's a combo of both. Yeah, like she will, she will have been, she will have had a moment where she just fucking goes like, you know, I trust anyone else nor myself. Yeah, because it's not even just what Dara said to her. It's like, what happened to the last kind of lady who tried to adopt her? I mean, it's. Oh, she got stabbed to death by a dwarf. By a <laughs> In yeah. front of Fury's face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> by a halfling, but yes. 
So, speaking of Sintra, then we are whipped back to Sintra with Geralt wandering the halls, trying to claim his child's surprise. Calanthe had agreed agreed to give him Siri. Uh, and then Geralt approaches a room where she where he hears Calanthe's voice coming from, and we find out that Calanthe has decided to give him a fake Siri, which is really funny to like everyone yes, who has read the Siri. books. Um, for reasons we can't yeah. go into, but let's just say that this happens many, many times. <laughs> there are so yeah. many fake cities. <laughs> yeah, so Geralt is looking nervous and waiting to meet Siri, and we, we yeah, hear Kalanthi sort of coaching this girl, and we see that this is not the Siri that we know, and she asks to go say goodbye to her friends, and she leaves. Now, there's this one thing that I'm not really clear on that happens, so like Geralt leaves the room while he's waiting, and then like a door opens at the end of the hall, and he walks towards it. Mm. Now, does anyone think like Mausak's been giving like when this Geralt was sort of meeting fake Siri, Mausak was giving him like a pretty intense look, and Mausak, as we know, really believes in destiny. Do you think this sort of door opening at the end of the hall by itself was a little bit of magical? intervention from Mausak. Yeah. I, I 100% interpreted it that way because he's looking at the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like giving Geralt this like, And as you see later, like look. in the next scene that involves like, Geralt, he's realized yeah. that that, that the fake city is fake. So, so I, I think, I think Mausak literally just whispered in his ear. Yeah, because he sees yeah, no, fake city about to read city. <laughs> well, I don't think he did. I think, well, he, I think Mausak opened the door because of the way, way Geralt figures out it's not the right Siri is he sees the door open at the end yeah, of the hallway yeah, right, and he yeah. sort of walks towards it which leads him to the courtyard where he sees yeah of course yeah yeah where he sees yeah the the fake Siri sort of curtsy to the real Siri which is back to that scene at the start of episode one where yeah they're playing knuckles where they're playing knuckle bones and Siri looks over because someone's in the doorway but she doesn't see who it is and it just like is exactly that scene yeah, so Geralt has seen the scene and he is furious. Yes, first you try to kill me, then you try to lie to me. Yes, and he says, you know, I just want to keep her safe. And and Calanthe replies, Siri is safe with me until the day she takes over my throne. And really goes for Geralt's throat that he let a hedgehog into her court and that got her Pavetta dead and she won't lose Siri too. What gets me about so this situation as well, that right like, Geralt could really easily resolve this conflict by literally just going like, okay... If you won't let me, you know, keep her safe somewhere away from here, literally let me stay here <laughs> until, one. you know, I make sure that, like, everyone's safe. It's probably stupid Witcher code bullshit again about not getting involved in politics. Yeah, he doesn't even offer to just be there as the bodyguard. <laughs> like, Except you always get involved, <laughs> Geralt, as Jaskier said Oh yeah, because he might have to fight the, he might have to fight a battle against Nilfgaard if he stays there to defend her, and that would be being involved in- We do get another line as well about kind of Calanthe's hypocrisy, you know, get Geralt saying to her, you lecture me on a mother's love and offer me someone else's daughter. Yeah, and then she says some pretty unforgivable shit. She need, like, oh, you lecture me, you a witcher, she needs family, you know nothing about that, your own mother cared so little about you that she discarded you. Like, yeah. Oh, ouch, Calanthe. Uh, remember, Erin, when a couple of days ago, like, Osir on Twitter mentioned that in the comics, it said that Mausak, um, like, explicitly knew Geralt's mother. Yeah, and like Geralt and Nosak met his children or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I, I just actually like that get that that got me thinking because like I, I like I, I can't remember exactly what the tie there was, but there was some sort of like tie between Mausak and Geralt's families. Mm-hmm. Like and Well Basen is a druid, so Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so you know like you know how yeah we discuss sometimes the Vasilis Adrid, so Mausak knows. Like mm-hmm. and that's presumably how Calanthe knows by this moment because in the books Geralt tells her himself, but like he in the book here he doesn't. Unless she's um, just making the assumption because most witchers are abandoned children. Yeah, but like I think she knows. It's said with like the sort of weight that makes it sound mm-hmm. like she knows. She would want to know everything about him. Yeah. Yeah. And let's be real here. Mausak deserved better. He's a wonderful guy, but also not exactly the most strong-willed individual since the dawn of time. No. <laughs> a couple straight questions later, he would have told her. And I mean, he seems to genuinely care for, like, Eastern Calanthe and said, Yeah. Sorry, yeah, exactly. so. Yeah. Like, so, you know. Um, but, like, yeah. Yeah, no, I was just thinking that that's probably how he knows, literally, that... And then, um, so after that sort of brutal line, East turns up kind of right behind her, and we're very excited to see him. And um, she, she basically just is like, we're done here, like, East, get rid of him. He looks oddly regal, um, given, you know, his reputation as a sort of craggy-faced <laughs> bandit. Uh... <laughs> and especially because he's supposed to have just got off a boat from I mean, Skellige. Sure, like... All the lore does seem to generally indicate that all that, you know, attitude the mainlanders have towards Skelligers along the lines of, oh, they're all a bit, you know, rowdy. Like, it's just like, you know, it's <laughs> like a national stereotype more than anything else. They they still know. Yeah. They know how to be regal when necessary. <laughs> well, it's, it's carried forward in the games, to be fair. At balls and stuff, they are well-dressed. They just fight a lot. Uh, yeah. So it's it's canon. And yeah. also, like to be um, to be totally fair, I think like it's only like really the fucking Sintrons and everywhere to the south of them that really look down on them for that either. Because like it, I'm just like sort of of that bit in uh, Blood of Elves where the king's summit happens, like when the when the mm-hmm. four monarchs discuss, sorry, five monarchs discuss like um like the Skelligers and how they're raiding like the Nilfgaardian shore. They seem more impressed than anything, to be honest. They're just like, yeah, the Nilfgaardians are scaring their children with like tales of Skelligers. That's great. <laughs> we should do more Oh, of that's that. right. I remember that. That was brilliant. <laughs> um, so this scene, I think, is probably my favorite scene in the whole episode. It's just so lovely, even though it mm. doesn't work out great for Geralt. Um, when he asks East, um, you know, what happened, you used to honor the law of surprise. And he says, uh, you know, I had a granddaughter and yeah. just, like, oh, <laughs> um, and, um, then he says to East, you know, you put too much faith in that woman. And I'm just going to quote here. Cause this is such a great line for him. He says, I'll fight side by side with my queen. You weren't there after Pavetta died. Kalenthi would wake up howling in the night. The lion is nearly broken. Someone who's able to pull themselves out of that, they'll have my confidence till their final day. And I was just like, oh, just like how much he like really just like loves her and respects her and like doesn't see this episode of grief as a weakness, but as evidence of her strength. Poor East. Poor East. East. He deserves so much more than what happened to him. One of the not very many (laughs) like good solid guys in the canon. There are plenty, but they're just like very rarely nobles. Yes. Nobles, all and they frequently get <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. The Skelligers actually are one of the the few groups in the canon that actually, as a whole, come off really well. They still do slaving, to to be fair. But like, yeah, uh, a lot of slaving and raiding and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, let's let's not have the way we're way slaving. But, but like, they do come off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In the context of everything I, I else, think, that everyone I think else it's is probably doing fair books, to say though. that like everyone is a little bit terrible, but like Skelligers have an above average number of good people. Yes, um, there there is a good line as well in this, which sort of sums it up as well. It's like um, you know, uh, he says, you know, I need you your promise that you won't come back, and Geralt says, you know, if I hear Ciri's in danger, you know, I can't do that before. And he's, he's just like, I know, locked and away. Like, locks him between gates. <laughs> Poor Geralt, you gormous fool. Oh, you sweet, beautiful himbo. So then we're in Nazir with our... Yes. Yeah, dressed in black and white. Black and silver, I rather. love this dress. In what looks like a really big slave binding operation. Yes, so it's a military sort of thing. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, she sees Istred, yeah. who's looking at pots. <laughs> yes, it's an... Yeah, so it's an archaeological site. There's this huge sort of, he calls it a megnolith. It's like one of these big sort of dark black stones that we've seen a lot of them around in the Sintra. continent in the show. City collapse uh, is one of them at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Yen gets sort of uh, papers <laughs> pleased. Well, very efficiently, guards. considering it's probably um... <laughs> fake. I mean, it says she travels from Cairngorm. The last time yeah. she was in Cairngorm, she caused. Well, literally all the trouble of the dragon hunt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not persuaded that document is real. Well, no, it, it is not. It's certainly not. <laughs> She's not really in good with anyone in any kind of official capacity, yeah. so... <laughs> like, um, and, um, and um, here's an interesting thing about the, about the scenery. Um, the aesthetics are very black and gold, the Novgardian colours. Yeah. Like, 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 just mm. literally, like, the sand as opposed to the magnolith. Like, and just, like, it, it all plays with the, plays with these shades of, like, gold tan to black. And, and yeah, mm. I just thought that was kind of nice, given that, yeah, those are the Nilfgaardian colours. Yeah, I, I like how they aged um, Istred as well by giving his him just a big fantastic, <laughs> like, <laughs> Istred. No, he's... He's gone full time team. <laughs> there, there is no time um, to cut your beard when you're a hotshot of an archaeologist. That's just how it works. Yes. Yes, that is right. He is still doing his archaeology. It's actually just really, it's actually just really nice to see Istrid pursuing his passion when, when Yen comes and ruthlessly attempts to ruin his life again. <laughs> it's nice seeing him not be yes. the sad sack that Book Istrid is, that's for sure. Yeah, so Istrid's still doing his archaeology. He doesn't care if Nilfgaard is evil, if they let him do his work, basically. Um, he bought in. Yes, yeah, Yen accuses him of having bought in. It's not even just that he doesn't care, it's that he genuinely seems to believe that they're better than what was before. Yeah, because so, yeah, Yen takes a sip of that ale and um, you know makes a horrible face and says it tastes like someone pissed in her cup. And uh, he's like, oh, well, you know, everyone gets something. Nilfgaardians look out for their people. Even if it's the same, and then she she says, you know, even if it's the same thing, which yeah. just as if someone's pissed in my car. It, it 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 was a very yeah. like it's actually a hilariously Eastern European concept of tyranny because it's it's but it's clearly high key inspired <laughs> by just Soviet rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like um, yeah no um, 
Um, oh, we also get a reference to the prophecy here as well when he's explaining to yes. him what he's doing. He's, you know, saying these magnoliths are from the time before the conjunction and that they have been, they, you know, they are all over the continent and they're connected to what he wants to know about the prophecy in the future. Yeah. So, yes, I think the prophecy gets we'll, we'll a, a little mention in here. Magnoliths come back as a plot point. Yes, we'll come back to that. Seasons. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're not in the books at all. Um, I don't remember them being heavily in the books. Um, there's something about there's, archaeology. There's there's there's, there's bits about like you know archaeological sites, including how do you put this? You know things like ancient prophecies. So it's like not, it doesn't clash openly with canon. It's just it's it's not there per se. Yeah, they've just yeah. like made it a lot more easy to see. I think it's actually cool because the, like the that, show, it, which it, I mean, it as a adds medium, another is like. First of all, I actually just love that fantasy trope of like you know ancient ruins containing lost knowledge. Like it's great, it's fantastic. Like it's it's why people like Elder Scrolls games. <laughs> well, there is one of the main references. To, uh, one of the main references to archaeology in the book and in the games as well. When you're in the Blood and Wine expansion, is the bit in Toussaint where um, pots grow out of the <laughs> ground, um, as they call it, and it's because it's a it's a mass graveyard. You know, I think that gets mentioned in the books as well. <laughs> it's a mass actually. graveyard. So I remember like, that. There's, 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 no there's a thing. There's a thing in. So. In. This is unrelated, perhaps specifically to the prophecy that pertains to city, but uh, there is a thing about archaeology and the um, black sun because in the, in the short story that is that is the basis for the Renfrey oh, episode, yes. um, Stregobor mentions that Eltibold deciphered. Ancient menhirs and henges and such things um, for the lore on the Black Sun. Yeah, so there is clearly sort of a tie between sort of yeah pre-conjunction structures and prophecy. Yeah, yeah, yeah in the book. Yeah. So they just made it like kind of a coherent visual style for the show, which sort of I think everyone loves a, a big sort of black stone megalith that gives you sort of a, sort of Cthulhu cycle vibes. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. So. Now we're in a tavern, as much of the storytelling goes in, <laughs> in the Witcherverse, either on either on horses or in taverns. Yeah, and Yennefer very clumsily attempts to hit on Istrid. Like it's, this scene is actually just really oh gosh, like, yeah. difficult Oof, to watch Istrid being emotionally put through an angle grinder again. You can see by his expression that he's deeply uncomfortable with everything that's going on. I mean. I mean, like, first, yeah. her first motivation is mm. very blatant in the bit where, like, uh, Istrid asks her if, like, has no one else, yeah. you know, like, seen the real you behind all power and influence and uh, besides for me. And yet just stays quiet for a bit and looks off into the distance. And all of us know what she's thinking at that time, which is, man, you are a bad substitute for Geralt. <laughs> And then kisses him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly it, yeah. right? Like, okay, so, like, he says, you know, oh, she's like, oh, I miss you. And he's like, yeah. oh, you know, look at <laughs> you, you could have anyone. And she says, I have, which, I mean, great line. Um, but um, then, yeah, she's saying about how they all love the power that came with her position at court, not my power. And he's like, oh, right, yeah. no one's seen that but me. But it's like, well, actually, Geralt really doesn't give a shit about yeah, your power at court. Power You're just contempt of anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also just, this is, the, this is the thing as well, that, like, you know... Uh, 
um, I just really feel bad for Istred, who like has to be put through just because Yennefer put through this just because Yennefer is unable to fucking deal with the fact that she that she didn't really want to yell and storm away from Geralt. Yeah, uh, it's so awkward too when they she kisses him and he's into it for about half a second and then pulls like, away. Literally, as he pulls his face away, you can see the pain. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> poor guy. Like. Uh-huh. Because then he tells her, like, he was obsessed with her, trying to get closer, trying to get closer Mm. to her, trying to find any excuse to work in Adern, and he knows that she's the one who kept denying all of his requests. So after, you know, it's been, like, 30 30 years or more, and she just, like, waltzes back in. Don't love that it was Stregobor that saved, quote-unquote, saved him by telling him to focus on his work. Um, Yes. Stregobor of all people. Strike yeah. of all people snapped me out of it. Work saved. I think it's like yes. more than forty because like okay, so wait, she was thirty years that... at Adern, and then there was like a bunch more years after that. So like, God knows half a century. Speaking, like she graduated from Aratusa around the age of twenty, and she's definitely over a hundred. It's literally been a lifetime. It's literally oh been gosh, a you're right. So lifetime. like it's been the better part of a century, and get, she just waltzes sad, back like, in. At least you kept your eyes. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry you chose power. Um, you went. Sure, power is actually such a burn yeah. of a line, to be honest, as well. Like, I yeah, you went after the like... thing you love. Sorry you chose power. So then. <laughs> oh, God, then this is so good. Up. When, yeah, so Istrid storms off, basically, and then Vilgefortz just drops right into his seat and she just tells him to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> And the guy just goes, I would, but like, we need to talk. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Incredibly charismatic dude, right from the outset. Like, explains that, like, he needs her help. Yeah. Yeah, he needs her to come to um, Aratusa and sort of implies yes. that Tisea has asked for her. So, you're the best mage I've ever taught. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's a very persuasive, charismatic, handsome man. Um, Yes. We won't obviously yes. go into too much. We'll only go on what you see here. This is this literally episode. the only thing we yes. will say about this, but he is a very important character and... in the books. And that is yes. 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 And this introduction because... is a very good introduction for him. One thing that is that is done very well here, and uh, book fans will appreciate this, um, is that uh, in the in the books he is the Vilgefortz of Rogivean. This guy, as he introduces himself, uh, is described as like a, a uniquely charismatic and good-looking guy for a mage, and I think they really like did well here with that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's he's charming, incredibly yeah. handsome guy. Yeah. I was just sort of swans in. Yeah. yeah. He's I exactly can't say what that, I'd like, imagine with any other show I've ever watched, I've bothered to learn the name of the casting director, but I think that Sophie Holland is the best casting director in the business. Like, I have never seen a cast put together like this to the point that I actually bothered to, like, find out who the casting director was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no lie. Like, honestly, uh, I think it's fair to say, since we are basically getting to the end of pretty much everyone who's been introduced, the casting has been fantastic throughout the series. And 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 the way the characters are portrayed is either like consistent or different, but in an interesting way. Like full test mm-hmm. could be the obvious one. You know, they made him Denethor, which is an interesting deviation mm-hmm. from the lore. Well, I um, think because he's a completely different yeah. guy, but also very fascinating character in the way that he's been treated. Mm. He's a bit 
darker in the TV series than in the books, I would say. I won't go into more detail, but he Much is a bit darker. darker but yeah, like um, he's he's actually just a lot more like confident and competent in competent. general, and and also like TV series Kahir is a true believer in the cause that um, like he's been assigned to. Well, at the end of the last episode, he you know he says it's yes. prophecy. Yes. He? Yeah. He genuinely like, and I mean, like you know, the fucking the fucking evil Doppler makes fun of him repeatedly for like genuinely believing it at all. So, <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, we go to Aratusa, yes. and uh, we get Yen and her silver and Vilgefortz, um, and this is sort of the politicking starting. And it's, you know, Vilgefortz has tricked her to be there. At the end of first, literally, like, it has been five minutes and the lies have started. Why did I expect anything else from a place held together yeah. by bullshit? And when she asks her to say it yeah. is, and they're like, oh, to say it's not here, she's like, oh, never mind, I'll find her, I'll just listen for the sound of crying girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good sequence to see that he's here, because he's, you know, she sort of fucks off and just goes, "Well, screw you! I'm going for a wander around the around the, the building." You sort of get this overlay. Of... Yeah, and she has <laughs> some PTSD flashbacks. Get, you... Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, all around the theme yeah. of control. That's the theme of her flashbacks and all that kind of thing, and just her sort of looking wistfully and mournfully at this building where she was imprisoned for old... like half of her young life. Yeah, where she has room. flashbacks yes. of her. Um, you know, begging to be let out and to say, uh, giving her the some things that sometimes the best thing a flower can do for us is die lines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, if, if to say I caught you messing around like this and lying, you'd, you know, be expelled. <laughs> yeah, because there are, there is, a, there, is a, there is a group of girls there who... Yes. One thing, one thing I did wonder is um, if they all ascend at broadly the same age, why does Tissia look I older than all it, of them? I think it is literally a matter of like, you know... Well, okay, so the thing is, right, like, first of all, um, in the in the books, not so much in the TV series, in the TV series it's implied that you change your appearance part once and that's it. So I can't really explain it there. In the TV series, the enchantment is a permanent thing that you do once and that's it. The book and the book series, it's more just that you can modify your appearance at semi at will. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes and sense, that's right? In the games like, as well, I think it would suit to say I to look older and yeah. sterner and more. Well, in the books as well, it's said that um, I think we brought this subject up a couple of times. Um, you know, when the books, men try to make themselves look older and more distinguished, and sorceresses tend to make themselves younger and more beautiful. I, I, I do like for, to imagine you know, the cause... thought that, like, fucking, um, one of the really old mages, like Doragarai or something, is actually, like, 20 and is just, like, pissing about by pretending to be uh-huh. old. <laughs> and I mean, Tisea is also, like, Tisea is immensely old. Like, book lore-wise, she's, like, like, maybe second she's generation of human second generation ever. Mage, yeah. Like, she is... So, like, who knows what the person no, no, first she... generation because Hen Gedimdief is the last remaining yeah. second generation one, and she was taught by him. Yeah, so she's like early, early, early in terms of like human mages at all. So, who knows what the processes were when. And if, I imagine if it's part of her authority to look a bit older and wiser, then it would mm-hmm. make sense. I think just yeah. like, you know, to say it doesn't place such an immense, um, like, value yeah. on 
conventional attractiveness in her. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. She can like absolutely step on my neck, but like, I mean, it's not. Yeah, she's not to say she's not immensely beautiful. <laughs> she is without question like stunning, but um, yeah, but she's no, not like she's, as youthful. She's she's beautiful, but she's not like deliberately like how do I put this? Women yeah. like that occur naturally, right? Well, <laughs> um, yeah. So she speaks as um. So you have Yen sort of speaking with the authority of a graduate, I think yes. I said in my notes. You know, like post-grads coming and talking to undergrads. Oh, no, oh, no, that's exactly what it is. Students about how it's fucking pointless and you're not going to find the job. And... Oh no, this is like me on yeah. a bad day talking to the undergrads. Oh god. <laughs> or me, yeah, 100%. Like, this is and what she's going to go oh, and tell no. them that everything sucks and like don't pursue academia because it's like terrible, oh, man. No. <laughs> And then they ask the question that cut me to the bone was, "Why are you back there?" It's like, I don't know. <laughs> but um, when they ask why she's back, though, she has a full-on flashback to her suicide attempt. So that's yeah. also yeah. I, 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 by the way, just love the fact that like it is heavily implied that Yen discovered that she can make drugs from the fucking herbs that they use for potions by literally just sheer, you know teenage defiance towards Tresea. Because, like, there's a worse to say. Because, like, um, one of the students literally says to her, like, we were told not to mix herbs. And Yennefer is just like, you need to learn to think for yourself in a totally, like, simultaneously serious voice that you can tell that it's, like, a genuine life lesson and stuff. But also, you're speaking specifically of, like, the finding out the fact that these herbs can be used as hallucinogens. So... Yeah. <laughs> like, but I mean, there's also something in there about control and taking control of your old life as well. Because like she says to them specifically, they tell you that so you have to go to them for all the answers. Yeah. Word of advice for think for yourself. It'll save you a lifetime of heartache. Yeah. So she's still clearly thinking about... 100%. Yeah. Also, it's specifically in the context of drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's just funny to think that the first rebellion Yen had to prove her independence as a sorceress was to was to make make some joints behind Tessia's back and smoke them. <laughs> <laughs> and she she also says something which is extremely post grad who got through the process and survived it, which is oh there are far worse things than expulsion. Which oh, yeah, sense, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, so yeah, to be being, totally being, fair, oh, coming in back this is case, worse than expulsion. She means something <laughs> deeply specific. And that is, to oh, be yes, fair, we just usually yeah, mean existential dread, not being not turned, turned into, into eels. Slugs. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. and in this case, actually, that's a good segue for the fact that, like, this is where Yen finds out when she shows them the eels. That's, well, or just, be, just before she, she shows out. them the eels, that Aratuza now yeah. accepts people. And she finds who out just some of them are paid. The school. Um, which, by yeah. the way, with no magic yes. talent. Can I just observe? That literally implies that there is a there is a scam going on throughout the Northern Kingdoms where Aratusa <laughs> takes in deliberately magically talentless but rich um, girls, uses them as eels to power Aratusa, and also takes all the money for all of their quote unquote tuition for the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, but how do they explain that away to all these oh. families? Well, I imagine the families are absolutely... The families are trying to get rid of Yusuf's daughters. Them. Yeah. Well, we had that with Callus, yep. didn't we? Except she got assassinated <laughs> rather than turned into a that, that That is literally what will be happening. It's like daughters that, like, for instance, are not attractive enough to be used as, like, you know, marriage bait, essentially, for yeah. alliances. 
well, yeah, one of the one of the young girls had um, had a had a yeah facial yeah like that, that's like, like stated that. in the books like yeah. that like, like um, oh, look, they made you beautiful habitually yeah. sorceresses get given like not especially good looking girls um, that's why enchantments are so popular yeah like which hmm. like the, it's actually there's actually another thing and I think the same passage which like is from the last wish where. It says that like druid circles and things like that, or, or or like or like the priesthood, like are actually less inclined to take in girls that like do not look sufficiently good. Which is, by the way, creepy as fuck. I'm just saying, mm. <laughs> considering yeah. that like hmm. that's not exactly a job requirement for either of those jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get um, yeah, we get the scene where she shows the young girls the cost of you know beauty and magical power and i think i put here that she's confronting you know the genesis and the nature of her being a sorceress and her origin story and what it means and its significance and all that can i go back and once again ask just do either of you still fully understand what's going on with the eels because i know they quote unquote power aratusa but what exactly do they do so my well they provide yeah, the life my force. thought is that Basically, what well, what Tisaya says when she turns the girls into the eels is that they still have power when I've taken away is control. So basically, I think what Tisaya is trying to suggest is that there's something inherent to the you know the girls who have had these conduit moments of of being conduits of chaos, regardless of whether they can control it, and so what she's doing is basically producing, you know, in each eel is a conduit of chaos that then gives them, I think basically what they're doing is creating, you know how, um, well, I was going to say, in you know matrix. how in like the way the, the explained magic works in the book and yeah. that they like draw yeah. from like water sources or they draw from, she's basically creating an artificial yeah. Yeah, that, that's what it is. It's a source. Source by concentrating okay. all of these conduits of chaos in one place. Yeah, like they do in the Matrix, where they turn humans into batteries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, like the Matrix. I sort of grasp the fact that it's literally like drawing power from their life force. What I don't understand is what that power is doing. I think it's just so that they can cast magic and stuff like that without... Well, I suppose they're above the sea, so there's water there. It's not like they need there, water. There's a lot of water right over there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just to concentrate. Well, I mean... Because they because yeah. there's lots make of make it like a really powerful mind, place. Portals and teleporting all that kind of stuff around there, and that's going to be a draw. So, yeah, but like also the portals are elven magic that like it's stated in both the TV series and the book that Aratusa is struggling to figure out. Mm. Mm, like, that's true. No, I, I mean I'm sure there is an explanation. I just don't fully understand it. I mean. I mean, especially because this is clearly not the way it works in the books. Yes, and I mean, it's clearly not the only source of their magical power because they're clearly able to draw on other things as well still. Um, I wonder if this is what Philavandrel was referring to in episode two when he says that they're polluting chaos so that humans can use it. I think it might at least be an example of it. Yeah. Artificially enhance it. Yeah. I mean, Geralt snaps back that chaos is the same as it's always been, but... I mean, Geralt just says things. It's true, Geralt doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Geralt, Geralt is literally a typical man in the sense that he will say things even if he doesn't know what he's talking about. He thinks he has a, an explanation for everything. That is why two out of three of us are in this podcast. <laughs> Aww. I think you guys are above average men. It's, it's okay. <laughs> 
either way, like, I think that, that, I mean, it's at least certainly an example of it because it does happen in the same episode at around the same time, you know, yeah. episode-wise. Um, mm-hmm. Like, but I think we will probably still see later exactly what the power is used for because I don't think we actually... I think it, like, has to be something inherent to the area of Aratusa itself. Like, I don't know. Some sort of magical defense system. It would be interesting, yeah, to see if the show brings it to a specific point of what they're using all that excess power for. Yeah. Like, by the way, another thing. Um, mm-hmm. as, you, as you mentioned, actually, like, the girls who get fucked with the nails last time, they still had power. It's just that their control was taken away. What will they do with girls that have been turned into eels that don't have power? They're basically just wasting yeah, space in that Yeah, I'm pool. pretty sure that the rich girls probably aren't going to get turned into eels if they've got no magic power. They'll just get kicked out. I mean, I mean, like the easiest way to deal with it would be to just kick them out eventually after taking enough of their money. And sorry, going, she really was useless. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> actually, no. A better, a better plan yet would be actually yeah. to keep them in there indefinitely, yeah. saying you still need training. <laughs> And just keep sending that standing order to like <laughs> that direct debit rather to like <laughs> to the parents. Yes. Uh, oh well, there's I think there's a line that is pretty important that we skipped over when we got into the the eel girls thing. So we're when we're down there in sort of Eretus's windmill, what the before to say it turns up. Um, Jennifer is, is explaining to them, you know, like do you know what else they do after sort of. Was they take the ability oh, to create life, yes. real life, or the ability to create life, real life? They take that from you and send you out and out. So the only family, the only loyalty you have is to them, and you'll trade it all for what? Looks that never change, a court full of idiots. You don't have to do it. And of course, the girl with the the really severe facial burn says, "What if I want to?" And it's not the other two that say that. And then, and then Yennefer really harshly replies with, "You with all the magical talent of a shoe." <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that was to the girl that says, just because you fucked it up doesn't mean we will. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you with all the magical talent of shoe leather. Ooh. And that's when she brings up the eels, because it's like, well, you'll have a home here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's true, actually, because to be fair, it's only one of them that was a rich girl who was taken on because of her family's work. Specifically yeah. the one that to begin with, mm-hmm. like, yeah, the first set to, what you lack, lack for in talent, you make up for in confidence. And... Like, I think the girl yeah. actually with the facial scar went, uh, she doesn't need, co- uh, like, talent. She has, her family owns half of Craven. Yeah. 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 Turns up and gives them a lavolicking. Yeah, exactly. You ruined one life. Stop there. <laughs> I to say, calm down. Life isn't that bad. <laughs> like, like, I mean, to be, to, to be totally honest, in this case, to say is actually being fucking overdramatic yeah. because, like... Jennifer's life's not ruined. Um, like, I mean, I mean, like, honestly, I always interpreted it as like, although like to say is pretending that it's about Jennifer, I think she's actually like voicing her own pain. Oh yeah, I think everything to say says always has two meanings. I, I think, like, to be totally honest, with everything to say says specifically to Jennifer always has the hidden meaning of I, I saw you as a daughter essentially, and you go off and disappoint me all the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, Tasea is an absolute ice queen in this scene, though. When Yennefer tells her she never wanted to come back, she just snaps back at her and you failed at that, too. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. To be fair, true, technically speaking. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, then suddenly all the wizards are rushing 
out of portals into some room in Eratusa. Yes, and uh, Jennifer and Triss find each other just as, as that happens. So Triss is back. Hello, Triss. It's hinted that not um, only do they know each other, but they seem to be quite good friends because Triss says that she'd been looking for Jennifer all over. For years. Yes. <laughs> Literally. Everywhere. It also really wasn't <laughs> all that, over to a source. Like trying be, that hard know, because Yen wasn't like in hiding. She was going on dragon hunts and shit. She was hardly, hardly <laughs> secretive about her whereabouts. She, she, I mean, she basically destroyed the city <laughs> yeah. of Rind by accident. <laughs> That's true. You'd think someone would have heard about that to say anyway. You know, she was. Like, <laughs> she's, 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 she's been leaving trails. That's all I've seen. <laughs> Yeah, it says Geralt's yeah. eyes flitting about like a tornado causing chaos. I mean, I mean, Bilgefortz <laughs> clearly was looking for we her because there is no way that like she he just happened to be in Nazair. So if he found her, anyone could have. Yeah, yeah, we do get that. Um, we, so we're discovering that Nilfgaard's attacking Sintra, and um, one th- one line that comes up here that I think that does have a sort of theme throughout, and Geralt saying. All, all, like, having to do all the times, you know, sometimes you have to compromise mm-hmm. in order to survive, which is kind of the theme that overrides Geralt's existence. Um, you know, he tries to be absolute in one way or the other, or, you know, I mean, avoid the committing day, to political causes. He just gets dragged into them consistently. <laughs> um, well, I mean, is it or is it like pointing out sort of the failures of. Um, I mean, I mean to be totally fair, like originally the books. Like low key, where because like Sapkowski is a ma- is, is is literally an economist and he's an economist who Fair. got his education in you know late eighties early nineties Poland. So like I mean I mean like, during the end of history. So like and, like as like I I I mean like honestly, Before someone has history. literally like uh, written an article that basically. Like I, found, I, I, I've not read it, but I found the concept very interesting, which was basically that Geralt is the ultimate neoliberal superhero. Because he's, because oh, no. he's a business owner. Oh no. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, he's well, an independent contractor. contractor. <laughs> he, he does pro bono work, but only yeah. like when he really likes the person, and he just pro bono work. The but he still has a poor. So he's gonna extract money from them. Like. Um, and you know, like, okay, fine, he needs to do it because it's his job, but like, also, um, there is a Oh god, that's right. <laughs> there, there, is, there is a thing, literally, oh. also, if you look at the books closely, that occasionally driven people by a higher will purpose. call him out on that. Oh no. <laughs> like, um, people will go, you are basically extorting the poor for their money, um, and and every time someone does that, they're depicted as an absolute arsehole and also somehow a hypocrite. And like, and you know, there's there's unsubtle <laughs> hints that like, how dare you criticize one man's desire to to earn some money? <laughs> I mean, I think he comes across more sympathetic than that, like, just he because does. he's almost always in incredibly dire he, straits. He, he, like 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 Geralt is obviously a very sympathetic guy, but like there 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 is clearly an undertone of like anyone who dares criticize his independent contractor existence, like even like on a you know like not necessarily personal so much a structural level is an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. So speaking of arseholes, 
Oh gosh. <laughs> We've got the conclave of memes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the best segue we've had on the show. I mean, not wrong, like, really. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, you know, there's obviously the warmongering and people trying to decide, well, how do we react to this? What's the way to do it? And, of course, Vilgefortz, ironically, appears to be a sensible pragmatist. You're trying to say, oh, look, Nilfgaard are attacking. How would I mean, you respond I mean, to this? Much more ironically, to um, be totally honest, you notice yes. people like Stregobor, who in the past has really strongly urged that we should choose the lesser evil, become a, become a mm. radical yes. peace-at-all-costs Chamberlain-type like, like, you know, um, refuser to choose the lesser evil and defend it. It's not even just that. It's like he's specifically, between him and Artorius, they're specifically arguing for letting yeah. Sintra fall as punishment for turning yeah, their they, back on the Yeah, they've laid their bed. Like, yeah, and, the, this, and the, the thing is as well, that like, you know, um, like, they they try to like, attack the character of the Sintrans of, Vil, of Vilgefort, saying that he's he's not even really like a mage, he's been running around fighting wars in his ridiculous, ridiculous get-up, by like, which they mean armor. Uh, hmm. which by the way can i just observe <laughs> i don't think there are actually any rules in the witcher universe like as there are in you know like a lot of like fantasy games and such that that like you know make it dif- more difficult to cast spells if you're wearing armor so if anything i think he's just doing <laughs> a smart thing that you should all be learning from <laughs> like <laughs> yeah um to say I get a good burn in here as well, because, uh, yeah, as you say, Stregomor says, you know, to Vilgefortz, you know, every year you're out there playing soldiers, a year that you weren't, uh, you know, acting as a mage, <laughs> and to say yes. says, or killing babies born like, in the cliffs. Yeah. Stregomor actually <laughs> shuts up. You can <laughs> see him going, go silent for a bit. He's, a, yeah. he's, he's yeah, shaken. <laughs> and and um, to say it also says a very important line here as well, where, where like, um, like, uh, she says, I won't defend Sintra, but I will defend our way of life. Like, uh, like and and I, I think that actually yeah. like, gets to, like, a lot of what this argument is about, because it is basically an argument between those people who are looking at this from the perspective of, this isn't our problem. They're actually ironically taking the same, mm. like, I prefer not to choose at all stance as Geralt, you know, claims to follow and then never does um like mm. whereas they're a bunch of meddlers mm. and they're taking <laughs> less like whereas approach. whereas like you know to say uh tris like uh sabrina are pushing for a lesser evil approach on the basis of i mean we are literally under an attack by a force that wants to conquer the world and that includes us yeah. Um, and of course, as she's saying, just just before she says she wants to defend their way of life, that's when Frangilla has uh, yes stormed yes in. and pretends that the that I mean, let's be real here, pretends that the entire that their that the Nilfgaard's quarrel is only with Sentra. Oh yeah, and it's but... it's not that we're we have a different way of life. We've charted a different course. We're cousins, not enemies. And I, you know, I mean, it's such bullshit considering that like you know we literally know by now, even just from yeah. the TV series. That Nil mm-hmm. has powered through at least several kingdoms, like yeah. But yeah. no, 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 no. We will stop at Sintra. Honest. Yeah. Definitely. And Tr- <laughs> Triss is trying to call her out for using, you know, forbidden magics like uh, 
fire magic and uh, necromancy and and Frangel is just like oh no forbidden magic is just one of the ghost stories they tell you here there's no such thing as dark or light magic which is like oh boy Frangilla that she's also she also comes across as sort of um, culty because she's you know she's like our new leader Emperor Mir guided by the white flame this is this is the amazing thing about the white flame flame. as 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 it's constantly mentioned um those of um, my pals who had not read the books or played the games before um, all thought that um, Emperor Amir and the White Flame are two different things because um, they they thought that the White Flame is some sort of god that they're worshiping, and I think that's actually just that actually just goes goes to show like how well the show oh. like created the entire aesthetic of the imperial cult, if you will. He is a kind mm-hmm. of god king, yeah. Oh, it's the god king. He's essentially it's can it's yeah. canism. Yeah, it's, he's or like, yeah. Canism. literally how the Roman empires uh, emperors behaved. And then we get the... deified. Yes. So then they of course take take a vote, and leave them to their um, to well. Their well, mercy. there's one thing. Yennefer intervenes with 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 actually a, an even more Geralt paralyzing diatribe about how she would want to burn it all down because <laughs> it has done nothing but ruin her life. Like, and she means specifically the, the entire oh. mage establishment. Which, to be totally fair, yeah. let's be real here. If the only Legit. thing that the Guardians were going for to destroy was the 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 sorcerer's way of life in the Northern Kingdoms, gonna be real here. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's actually, um, after she says that, there's actually... Um... Another really good example of Tesea, where she, when Tesea is talking about one thing, she's actually talking about another here as well. Um, when she makes her last defense of Sintra, she's clearly talking about Yennefer, when she says, you know, it's true Sintra turned its back on us. They're proud yes, and smart yes, and dangerous, but I yeah. you know, believe they're scared. Yes, we've, we've called them a lost cause for years. It's time we risked our pride and tried again. Yeah, <laughs> she's clearly talking about Yennefer here. She's like looking at Yennefer when she's saying this. <laughs> Oh, of course, yeah, I got yeah, got that slightly in order in my head because they do they haven't held the vote yet. They have that sort of discussion. Show Geralt in his head in his. Oh, they have the vote before. Well, it's kind of it intercuts actually. It's sort of like, yeah. Yes, yeah, they flip between, and we get the line as well. You know, if only Yennefer had gone to Nilfgaard with her at the helm. Yeah, we are Yen blaming again. Fucking Stregobor and his and his entire like you know dismissing Yennefer with you don't even get to vote and shaking shaking his hand. Sorry, but why? She hasn't actually done anything. Uh, I guess she abandoned her post, but other than yep. that, I mean to be totally honest, Edrin's quite clearly been doing fine. So yeah, <laughs> um, I have. Did we talk before about why Sintra has been rejecting mages since the time of Calanthe's father? I mean, because I have a, I, I have a, I have some thoughts about that. Okay, so some of this is sort of booky, so you can decide whether I should leave it in. But I think that's if it's interesting. Uh, okay, <laughs> wow, pressure. <laughs> um, so, so I kind of, I don't know. You can tell me if, if I'm crazy here, but basically, we get, you know, back several episodes ago, we get sort of a reference to um, Calanthe's father having banned mages from the kingdom. And it's a question of whether, you know, Calanthe, when she ascends the throne, is going to let me just back in. And then we get in the epi- in the, the sort of banquet episode, we get sort of Pavetta having the sort of magical 
power and then being sort of told, oh, you have your grand, you know, your grandmother's gift. It skipped me. Um, now, in the books, we when we get told about sources, which is what Pavetta is, um, we get told that mages used to do not great things to sources yes. um, in terms of basically like kidnapping them and dragging them back to Eretuza forcefully. So we know that Calanthe's mother mm. had the same power Pavetta did. So Calanthe's mother was a source. Yeah. That seems to me like a good reason for her father to ban mages. I am, incre- I, I am entirely on board with this theory. Um, because... And then continuing to ban them because Pavetta is a source. And Also, to be totally fair, I think yeah. Calanthe might have also just mm-hmm. gone, yeah, I don't care. The kingdom's been prospering anyway. Uh, shrug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got Mousesack, who is a mage but not a mage. Um, like, yeah. well, you know, really, like, you know, if you've got... Druids are magic users. They're ju- they just literally belong to a different organization. So, like, yeah, you know, um, like, um, I think I just I, think the reason her father might have banned mages from the kingdom is because yeah, yeah. he married a source. I can totally yeah. buy it. <laughs> um, in the in the books, I don't think there is like any reference to a similar ban. Um, no, other than that, they just don't have a mage. Yeah, I, I'd buy it. It makes sense. Okay. So, yeah, just, I thought, oh, this is a good place to shoehorn that in. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're meeting. Oh, so yeah, they also they make another stupid reference. And... Like, the, you know, the show just needs to stop making them because they're actually just, like, like, they're fucking, like, they're, they're so hammy at this point. Like, about how everything would have fine if yeah, just Yen had just yeah. yeah just just well because they have to say that in, because in, it's like, the just, cornerstone of the organization stay, it's the whole the, foundation yeah. of why they have the organization is because they believe that they are guiding yeah. the world so of course they're gonna reference it yeah 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 but like it's just it's made in almost like a hammy kind of out of place way by Fringilla who goes I have Yennefer to thank and it's just like can the show st- tr- stop trying to imply that everything would have fine if Yennefer <laughs> had gone to Nilfgaard? I wish they would stop rubbing it in her face because it does, it is feeling a little shoehorned at this point. So as they come away, obviously you get um, Tissi and Yen having a discussion after the meeting and sort of implying that there's a subplot amongst the minority. You know, that's why Vilgefortz and I and some others are going to fight and you should join us if Nilfgaard wins. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. And Tissaia, this is a great scene for Tissaia because she's like nearly crying. Her eyes are red and like shining, like she's got tears in them, which we never see that from Tissaia. And says to Yennefer, if you will not do it for the Brotherhood, then do it for me, please. And this is kind of what wins Yennefer over. Yeah, Ice Queen this melting. is what wins Yennefer over. And just she says to her, you know, have you ever used that word before? Yeah, the lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Still intercutting with Central. So we start isn't to it? cycle back to early, much earlier in the season. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's showing the gate falling and Siri and Mouse Sack and the sacking. And Kalenthi on her deathbed. Geralt and... stuck in his cell and yeah. breaking. We it. rehash a lot of scenes from yes. episode one, yeah. And yeah. Geralt traced, yes. cuts his way through the castle to a lone Nilfgaardian soldier. Yes, Geralt gets a good scene of him being a kind of utter badass, cutting through sort of a good chunk of. Guardians before he gets to that lone soldier. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, he demands to know where Siri is, isn't, doesn't he? From Soldier. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But instead, we get um, some cultists speak from him. You know, I'm already saved. No one is left. Watch for the signs. All this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. Um, the God yeah. King and all that kind yeah. of stuff. It's, it's pretty heavy. I mean, they really did go quite hard on the um, fanaticism. Yeah, because like, like to to be fair, right? Like in the in the, it it is it is important. It's important. It, it's like, it is. I mean, in especially degree, the context of the games. Both in the books and the games, like he is more just an absolute monarch, not really so much a God King. But like, I like the I like the change. Mm-hmm. It actually gives more flavor. Mm-hmm. I think it like leans heavily on the the importance of the prophecy, yeah. right? Because I mean, one of the things Fringilla says yeah. in that conclave is, if we take Centro, we can save the continent, and that's well, clearly referring. I to think it's a very theory. real kind of difference between, like, it it emphasizes the difference between the Elf Guardians and literally, like, you know, all of human history up to this point. Because, like, you know, there's brutality in it. There's you know chaos, disorder, war. Mm-hmm. Uh, plague, etc., etc. But so I will say I have seen some criticism that like this recasting the Elf Guardians as like religious zealots is maybe a little Islamophobic. Maybe, but to be totally honest, like their religion, the, the, the like the conversion of the white flame into a religious object, the way they did, reminded. I think that's it's, remind, it's reminded me yeah, more of Christianity, sure. if anything. Like, it's crusades. Yeah. It's crusady. Yeah, we're the white flame. Yeah. We're saving the holy land. We are getting. I, I our... d- yeah. It doesn't really like parallel Islam in any meaningful way. No, I think it's just like a way that they're like coded as being from like the only part of Nilfgaard we see is like a desert. But that's and... not even Nilfgaard. That's Nazir. Yeah. That's literally a conquered yeah. land, same as the Crusaders mm-hmm. conquered. Yeah, I mean, I like this isn't my perspective. Yeah, I, no, saying, I mean, I some... think it's an interesting yeah. perspective. To be fair, it's completely valid. It's just like I, yeah. I think, I think if anything, their their religion reads a bit more like a weird mixture between the Roman imperial cult and Christianity. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I mean, there, there's perhaps actually something meaningful to discuss about like the in like. Uh, but the inherent racism of a threat coming from the south in general, yes when the northern kingdoms are so obviously coded as europe yeah um, yes and the south are mocked as being you know disorganized yeah, yeah right like i mean there's there's unsavory like that. parallels yeah. that's the criticism there's unsavory parallels between yeah. the idea of the global north and the global south and that's much more obvious. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, and you know, this isn't to accuse Andrzej Sapkowski of, you know, like, doing it actively, obviously, just like an observation about, like, you know, perhaps the sort of, like, subconscious tropes that might have accidentally made their way into all of this because everyone's a little bit racist. And I mean, it also is, like, because it's such a sort of global problem it's also a long-standing tradition yeah. in fantasy like who are the bad humans in Lord yeah, of the I wings mean, it's the i mean if you want to and, like and they are called um, they do call the north guardians the black i ones, mean to be so... fair that's derived from their armor <laughs> but yeah that's their armor <laughs> like yes um and it it is um a rather interesting conversation to have um like it does remind me of another thing as well, which is that, like, like you know all those, like, you know, fucking fanboys who are fucking complaining about the fact that, like, you know, oh, suddenly there's people of colour in The Witcher? And it's just, like, 
Okay, anyone listening to this, I dare you, look up, get the Witcher books and find a single instance of anyone's actual skin color being referenced. I can remember it happening maybe once or twice, and it's people being called swarthy. That's it. That's the specific yeah, word used. Like, that's the only time in, like, however yeah. many books there are. <laughs> I think that's, like, you know, specifically when it's, like, because yeah. they're swarthy even among their peers. Yes. Like, literally among their ethnic groups. Yes. So, like... Yeah. You know, like, I mean, yeah. Sapkowski had an entire thing where actually, like, you know, um, when he was asked about this, he was like, I literally don't care because, like, I have never made reference to like, the skin color of any of my characters, um, like, in fact, like, he was like, I actually found it a little, uh, like, a little bit interesting, as he put it, like, when, like, when, um, he initially wrote the Zerkadians, who are coded as people of color in every adaptation, literally every single one, like, the games, this TV series, the previous TV series, all of them, although, Mind, the previous TV series had an unfortunate instance where they still had white people play them, oh, but no. only after, like, some time in the Solarium. Oh, oh dear. Um, so, you know, it's unfortunate. But, like, um, in the in the books, they're described as blonde. So it's actually, like, interesting, an interesting refle- reflection of, like, um, perhaps subconscious racism already on the part of most people who are adapting the Witcher novels, yeah. that they immediately assume that because the Zerikanians are from far away, they yeah. need to be people of color. Huh. Yeah. Like, for all we know, everyone in the Northern Kingdoms is black. There's no reason why they couldn't be, yeah. Um, so we we come to the ending of the episode then, which is series with Klopp or Clip. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's a really nice moment where she's, uh, you know, what kind of crazy person talks <laughs> to a which. horse, which is really, it's really nice. Callback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice episode one callback. <laughs> a, a, a fantastic dig at Geralt from across the universe. <laughs> and then one of Ciri's old pals comes to to rob her with a bunch of bandits. It's like the only thing special about you is the crown on your head. Which he was very um, wrong about. Ooh. Yes, because she immediately taps into her power. Yes, they're kind of roughing her up and trying to steal all her things. So she goes into that sort of emotional distress that tends to provoke her her magic. She's a source, so she starts reciting Athene's prophecy as she calls upon the magic to basically get them to leave her the fuck alone. Yeah, and it's quite it's quite striking the way she sort of like drops her knees and they seem to sort of step back and and. Um, yeah, and the, the text of the prophecy that she recites is, uh, Verily I say unto you, the era of the sword and the axe is nigh, the era of the wolf's blizzard, the time of the white chill and the white light is nigh, the time of madness and the time of contempt. And then there's just screaming. It fades to black, which is... Yeah. Whew, way to end an episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one thing about this episode, and a theme throughout The Witcher, obviously, and the books and whatever, is it's, you know hinting at destiny as being some sort of preordained force and there are there are some sort of justifications for it because they use you know i um, won't get into the, the specifics of it but they use like dream magic and stuff like that for prophecies and there's pillars and mm-hmm. soothsayers and stuff like that there's there's a real thing 
in, in prophecy, right? Mm. Like, it's it's implied that you can actually tell the future. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Um, but we won't go into detail on that for obvious reasons. But it is interesting to me how much of it really is, you know, is I mean, is Destiny like, real in this universe, my, my or is it personal just for all of it? I um, think. And you guys might disagree, but like, um, it's just because, like, especially by the end of the novels, Sapkowski really did love, like, semi sort of scientific sounding explanations for magical things. God, he um, sure did. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, um, so my my actual theory for it is literally that this is just a very deterministic universe, that there is one way things can go. Really. So do you think like it's it's not so much destiny as it's just that's what's happening. So really like the prophecy is irrelevant. It's just that's what's going to happen anyway. Um it's not someone needs to film fill it. There is no chosen one. It's just this is the shit that's happening. Yeah, yeah like my 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 very perhaps grim theory is that like there is only one way the Witcher universe can go. So given how much he loves talking about like you know, genetics and climate change and things, I would not be surprised if he was just like, oh, yeah, no, people who prophesize are just people who've somehow tapped into the ability to, like, read the way that all of the particles in the universe were going to unfold from the Big Bang. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it is literally... You know, uh, have either of you read the Foundation series? I shamefully have not. Um, it's basically the TLDR of it is that it actually revolves around... A particular school of science that has just been able to predict the future essentially using just analysis of what next will logically happen in the chain of events so um, like ai predictive like minority kind report. of like it's, it's all like it, it and uh, it i i'm i'm not actually the best place to explain it because it's been a while since i read it but like basically the idea is that like there is they invent this thing called psychohistory, which is just like being able to predict the future off of just logical calculations made about how, about the way history is going currently. Right. And I think I think um, the way prophecies in The Witcher manifest is that it's basically just the magical equivalent of mm. that. That mm. they're literally just there is such a thing as destiny, and it's just like the absence of free will. Yeah, but um, yeah, cutting back to context yeah so we get you know Ciri's power as she fends off these dudes and it cuts to black and then we're set up for the next episode which is the final one yeah and the battle this is the battle of Sodden not like I claimed last time <laughs> it's the battle <laughs> on the hill and we should probably <laughs> yeah so we should probably let our listeners know that um, just because that's the last episode of the show does not mean that's the last episode of the podcast we're um, you know planning to I think do a wrap up episode um talk about the series yeah. as a whole and then we will um progress into the short stories um i believe the plan was to do one short story per episode yeah yes. why not well, right. we, we can read through the short story so we can get enough meat from it and then move from there yeah exactly yeah um i'm sure that we can because then we'll be able to relate it back to the show and stuff yeah. so yeah that's our show thank you so much for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time for the final episode of season one much more our music is medieval abstraction by lucas perny and miloslav kolar which you can find at freemusicarchive.org and you can find us on twitter and tumblr as at the witcher cast or email us at castapod to your witcher at gmail.com see you next time 